3: Thursday morning the 18th of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. COVID-19 surges once again bringing with it sickness and death, the fear of overwhelming the health service and an opportunity to treat people who are sick with conditions other than COVID. Lost. We are back in a crisis and not just here. It's a similar situation right across Europe.
4: Almost two million cases of COVID-19 were reported in Europe last week. Two
3: million new cases in just one week. A terrible week by any standard.
4: The most in a single week in that region since the pandemic started. Worse still. Almost 27,000 deaths were reported from Europe. More than half of all COVID-19 deaths globally Last week
3: 27,000 lives Lost in Europe In just one week
4: COVID-19 is surging In countries With lower vaccination rates In Eastern Europe But And as you very well know It's
3: not just Eastern Europe That is experiencing A surge right now
4: But also in countries With some of the world's Highest vaccination rates In Western Europe
3: Ireland with 93% of uh, the population Now vaccinated Is at the top of that list
4: It's another reminder As we have said again and again, that vaccines do not replace the need for other precautions. So, why is
3: coronavirus so virulent here when the vast majority of us have been vaccinated? The World Health Organization has been consistent in what it has been saying about vaccines.
4: Vaccines reduce the risk of hospitalisation, severe disease and death. But... They do not fully prevent transmission.
3: That certainly is true. And that's why the government this week has had to review what COVID restrictions apply.
4: Some European countries are now introducing restrictions to curb transmission and take the pressure of their health systems. Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus,
3: uh, the Director General of uh, the World Health Organization. The message from the WHO is vaccines reduce the risk of hospitalization, severe disease and death, but
4: they do not fully prevent transmission. So what can we do? We continue to recommend the tailored and proportionate use of testing, masks, physical distancing, measures to prevent crowding, improve ventilation and more and get vaccinated when it's your turn. Every country must constantly assess its situation and adjust its approach.
3: That's uh, Dr. Tedros uh, speaking in Geneva. Let's go to Dr. Alona Duffy, who's a GP based in Monaghan and uh, the medical director of e. Doc. And uh, a very good morning to you. And thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, we're in a very serious situation, it seems, and uh, the potential for an even more serious situation as uh, time moves on. And as we were hearing there, as has been the case since the outset of uh, this pandemic, the answer is in our hands kind of thing.
5: Yes, Michael. Unfortunately, none of this is good news and hugely disappointing, not only for the general public, but for us as medics who really had hoped that we would have control on this virus and be able to return not only to normal living, but obviously uh, return to normal health care. But um, even here on the ground, having had two weeks of no positive tests this week, we're starting to see a rapid rise, not only in those presenting with COVID-type symptoms, but those also um, testing positive. So it's of grave concern. And again, as I said, hugely
3: disappointing. And it's going to get worse. There's no doubt about that at this stage uh, because there's people who have COVID and don't know they have it yet. In the next two weeks, we'll see those figures come about. But it's what people do between now and then that will hopefully bring down the figures two weeks after that, I take it.
5: It is. I mean, this time last year, we were in in a situation that we thought was bad because we could see our rates were high and we knew that Christmas was coming. We were worried about people gathering and people traveling more. I think this year, it's while we're vaccinated and while we're seeing high levels of people who are vaccinated and we've started seeing the booster program really get underway, we are unfortunately seeing that rise in hospital admissions. We are continuing to see people testing positive, including those who've been fully vaccinated and also those who've had COVID before. So really what we've learned from this is that the vaccine which we had hoped was going to offer you know, more or less full, not let's say full protection, but definitely reduce our rates of transmission, definitely reduce that spread of the disease, hasn't been able to do that fully. Yes, as, as, as already been stated, um, it will reduce hospital admissions and the, the risk yeah. of severe illness for those who are vaccinated, but there are people who are immunocompromised, there are people who are older where the vaccine has waned that bit quick, quicker than Immunity that they got from it, and unfortunately they remain at higher risk, and therefore these are the people, along with those who are unvaccinated, who will be hospitalised.
3: Okay. Well, the modelling is bleak. Uh, they're talking about more than twelve thousand cases a day. That could go up to fifteen thousand cases every single day. Uh, that would result in a 1,000 people being in hospital in two weeks from now, uh, up to about 1,100 in hospital uh, later in December, going up uh, to 1,250 people in hospital. Uh, and then to 2,250 people in hospital the week before Christmas. That's an awful lot of people in hospital at any time of the year. But in the run up to Christmas, when people want to get together, that's a a dreadful situation uh, to contemplate. And 200 of those could be intensive care. In fact, it could be actually worse than that. They're saying in a worst case scenario, it could be 450 people in intensive care. That is shocking to my ears. How does it sound to you?
5: Absolutely frightening, but I think what we've got to remember is that's the worst case scenario. So that's if we do nothing, that's if we continue as we are mixing, mingling with a drop in our kind of on our, our guard uh, so that we're not maybe taking the precautions that we had taken before. But added to that is a concern that we are seeing other viruses spreading and that is including influenza where the numbers are small, mm. it's still there it's in our community, whereas this time last year we had no influenza and we have to remember that influenza is still a big cause of death in those who are vulnerable and a big cost of hospital admission so I think we are at risk of the perfect storm happening here Mm. a continued rise in COVID, a rise in other viral illnesses and obviously we are still paying the catch up game for all of the loss of hospital services and delays and treatment and delays investigations that have occurred not only because of COVID but also because of the cyber attack. So I think what we've got to listen here to now is the fact that we can put the brakes on this. Mm. We're not going to stop it completely before Christmas but we can definitely put the brakes and ensure that our hospitals can remain functioning and that all healthcare services, and that includes general practice services, yeah. so that we are able to remain open and seeing you with your normal healthcare conditions and it won't become like it was a year and a half ago where everything ground to a hold.
3: We need to look at it uh, from an individual basis, don't we, rather than looking at these big figures and uh, God love 450 people if they end in ICU but the question is how do I make sure that I'm not one of those uh, and I, I know uh, and I imagine everybody listening to us knows that if we stay home and never leave the house and nobody comes into the house we'll never get COVID And it's the same with the flu, isn't it? Uh, And uh, a common cold, for that matter. Uh, It's also the same if you step outside of the house and you don't come into contact with people, or if you do come into contact with people that you keep two metres apart and that you wear your mask and that uh, you make sure that you wash your hands and cough etiquette and all of these basics. Uh, And these are the things that we're being asked to remember to do so that we don't end up Uh, on that list uh, of people, however many it turns out to be, who end up needing to uh, get assistance to breathe and so on.
5: I think you're right. Everything you say is correct and that we go back to the basic measures and um, wearing your mask when you're in, in company and um, the hand hygiene, limiting your contacts. And, and I think that's very difficult because now we things have opened up. Pubs are open. Restaurants are open. We are gathering. All of us are meeting people now that, that this wasn't happening as much even last year. But I think there are certain things we can do. We've got to remember that any respiratory symptoms whatsoever, whether you think it's just a mild cough, whether you think it's just mild sinus congested or a once-off temperature, if you have any of those symptoms, you must restrict your movements until you've had a COVID test and we can be sure that you don't have COVID. Um, I think also if you are gathering, there are simple measures. If groups are gathering, perhaps that there is kind of somebody taking control and kind of confirming that everybody is well, nobody has symptoms or nobody's had contact with the mm. COVID case. And perhaps people could think about using antigen tests. I mean, we've been slow to use these and there is talk, you know we're going to see more of a roll out of them especially for those who are close contacts but they're easily available to people they do not replace the pcr test so if your symptomatic and antigen test is not enough and there's no point going buying them in your chemist or asking your chemist to do them you need the pcr test however If you are having a gathering and you are worried, especially if you have contact with people who are vulnerable, it may be worth considering doing an antigen test on everybody who's gathering on that day. And that may also help pick up a small number of those who are asymptomatic and have enough of a viral load to have a positive antigen test.
3: Okay. Um, If uh, we are better being kept apart from each other, Uh, Have we uh, taken enough action? Uh, The government uh, this week has uh, put a a curfew on pubs, uh, effectively closing nightclubs, of course, but 12 o'clock and home to bed. Uh, Is that enough or should we stop going to the pub?
5: Well, I think when we hear that the nightclubs are talking about opening earlier, um, I think it kind of shows that none of this is going to work. Yeah. We're having large gatherings, we're having concerts, we're having big groups gathering even in our cinemas. Now, I know there's a limitation that you have to have your COVID vaccine cert, so that at least is going to help. But the reality of it is we're seeing thousands of people gathering tightly packed together yeah. in unventilated um, environments. And it can only mean one thing. We know that amongst those thousands, there will be some people who unbeknownst to themselves or perhaps beknownst to themselves. they have have symptoms Hmm. but have decided it's not COVID who are attending and unfortunately will spread this virus But
3: should there there be COVID certs elsewhere like gyms I mean surely it would be safer at a movie especially if it wasn't well attended you could keep your distance keep your mask on wash Mm -hmm. your hands and all that where you may find that impossible to do in a gym and we did discuss that on the programme yesterday but it's hard to balance it in your mind why you need a COVID cert to go into a cinema when you don't need it to go into a gym or a chipper or a hairdresser or anywhere else for that matter
5: Well, I think a gym where you're going to be running, you're going to be sweating, you're going to be breathing more and therefore spreading a virus because we know it spreads so easily and it's Mm. aerosol spread from our breath, from our spittle and it is a no-brainer for them not to force, uh, you know, COVID certs. There absolutely should be COVID certs for you to be able to use the gym and we've just got to get back to this. There's still far too many people that we're coming across in our surgeries who are unvaccinated and um, really don't see that they need to be vaccinated Mm. and I would say to them, this isn't about your Personal health. It is about the health of those around you who you may infect and who, as a result, may end up really ill. So, I think we have got to make it uncomfortable, unfortunately, for people uh, who aren't vaccinated mm. and make them realize that they ha- we're well, doing that's this that's it. I the mean, the if they go,
3: if, sorry for cutting cross you, uh, uh, Dr. Duffy, yeah. if, if they're going to a, a, a library, why should the librarian get COVID because <laughs> they didn't get vaccinated? Uh, I mean, it's very hard to understand why we're not looking for COVID surge everywhere if not almost everywhere
5: well we know that in other countries they've introduced mandatory quarantining for those who are unvaccinated i'm not suggesting we're going to go there with Mm. that but i am going to suggest that you know Really, you can't get into a restaurant, you can't get into a pub unless you've got a COVID cert. And similarly, other areas, um, I see it's other areas where you are putting others at risk. So mm. you're going to be there for a long period of time. And that includes hairdressers because you could be two hours, three hours in a hairdresser. Mm. So I think going in and out of a shop is OK. Going in and out of a library, if it's picking up books, maybe OK. But if you're going to sit there and be part of a reading group or sit there mm. for hours, then yes, you are increasing the risk to others if you have COVID. So therefore, I mean, it's all about protecting the general public so
3: we've got to protect everybody and, the health, <laughs> and service. To protect the health service and the health service because if the librarian or the hairdresser ends up with COVID and uh, they get a bad dose of it and need to be hospitalised uh, there may not be room in the hospital for somebody else uh, and so on so it, it's uh, about protecting other people and indeed uh, protecting the health service but it's not just uh, about that uh, the unvaccinated people Uh, may be interested to know that uh, they should have a vested interest in this themselves. And uh, if they go into the library or the hairdresser and the librarian or the hairdresser ends up with COVID, uh, there's a much better chance, a far better chance of the librarian or indeed the hairdresser surviving the virus than there is for the unvaccinated person. Uh, bear with me for a moment. We're going to listen to just a little bit of Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health, Health Organization about this.
2: Your best bet is to get vaccinated. We, you know, there's some excellent data coming out of European countries and particularly out of the United Kingdom. And I think the recent estimates at the beginning of the month was that a vaccinated person, an unvaccinated person, has a 32 times greater risk of dying in this pandemic than a vaccinated person. Uh, that's that's very good odds uh, if you just want to look at that in terms of something that enhances your chance of life so you know make that decision if you can go out and get the vaccine because not only will that help the health system cope, but it will protect you uh, and your family. So vaccination and getting vaccinated if you're a high risk or vulnerable person, older person, is absolutely critical at this point in in any of the European countries.
3: 32 times. It's an incredible difference. Uh, It's a no brainer, isn't it, Dr Duffy?
2: It is a no-brainer, and
5: and I understand people have strong views about vaccines, but I think when you hear hard, independent, objective data like this from somebody like Mike Ryan, who's gathering all the data from all around the world, then, you know, there's no question about it. This vaccine saves lives, and while, you know, it may not be giving everything we thought it and hoped it would give, it is still saving lives around the world.
6: Okay.
3: So, uh, obviously, apart from washing your hands, and wearing your mask and all of the basics uh, people will want uh, the next available vaccine the boosters Uh, and uh, as we've been hearing this morning there will be rolled out as quickly as possible but there needs to be a five six month gap between vaccines
5: there is. There must be a five, at a minimum five, I mean the original guidance was six months but it can be reduced to five months where required but that is the minimum. There's no point getting it if it's a booster. And The only caveat to that is those who are immunocompromised are getting a third dose. It's actually not called a booster, it's called a third dose because it's felt that those with severe um, immunocompromised disease aren't able to build up enough of a, of a kind of immunological response and they require a third dose and that's done after two months after their second dose. So it's a little different though those people won't be called through their gps they will be called through the hospital services so and that's probably where they got the first dose i suppose what i'd say at the moment is there's lots of talk about the vaccines and the boosters um, our priority is to vaccinate those who are very high risk and that is our over 80s our over 70s and those with underlying health illnesses to date the over 70s and over the 80s have been done by your GPs yeah. and many of you will have been called. If you haven't had a call it's probably worth contacting the GP surgery at this stage. Um, some GP surgeries are closing their surgeries to, to, you know, for the full day, a day a week to do this. Other surgeries like ourselves are doing at the end of every day so we'll be a bit slower at doing it but it means we're able to continue normal surgeries and ensure that we're seeing people with other things. So I think if you haven't heard anything and you're over 70 it may be worth just a quick ring to the GP yeah. surgery and they'll advise that. For those who are over 50, we've been advised that they will start to be vaccinated. I would ask you, wait, don't be... You know, don't Mm. go rushing for it yet. The vaccines have to be distributed. You will be able to access that vaccine both through the vaccine centres, through GPs and through um, pharmacies. But again, we haven't been given those extra supplies as of yet so our priority is to give it to those who are most
3: vulnerable. Okay, so everybody over 70 who would have got one of the mRNA vaccines uh, should be entitled to a booster now uh, because it would be six months since they were last vaccinated. Now that won't be the case with a lot of the people over 60 because they'd have had the AstraZeneca vaccine and probably got it in July or August or after that and it'll be the new year before they actually. uh, But remember
5: they're covered, they're protected until then we know that the real data showing is that the the immunity really starts by six months to wane Mm. so I think up until then you still have good protection and we're giving you that booster after that six months and you know people might say well why not give it to me sooner well the data is showing this is the best way to do it so I think this Mm. Allows that spreading out, it allows that boosting later, and you'll get a better immunological response.
3: Even though, even that. though it's waning now.
5: Well, it's waning, but yeah. um, it wanes from the moment, you you know, yep. within a month okay. of getting okay. it. But again, it's still offering enough protection. Remember, kind of all of this is based on the hard data that mm. is coming from other countries, countries like Israel, countries like the UK, who were ahead of us in the game with regards to the rollout of the vaccines. So in many ways, because we're a step or two behind, we're also benefiting from the evidence and the experience that they have.
3: OK, it seems as though there's some people in their 50s who may get uh, booster vaccines very, very soon uh, and well ahead of those in their 60s because they got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine or the Janssen vaccine and the Taoiseach was telling his parliamentary party meeting last night that they're probably going to give a booster vaccine to people who got the Janssen vaccine three months after they actually got their vaccine because it's just a a one-shot vaccine.
5: Okay, I, so I missed I missed hearing that and mm-hmm. I, I can't really comment on that. But, I mean, what I would say is I would be guided by um, the, the vaccine advisory N-NYAC. and NEF yeah. at NIAC, mm-hmm. and I think, look, let's be guided by them. Let's follow them. We have enough vaccines. That's the, the big message and they will be delivered.
3: Okay, well, hopefully you won't see too many of our, our listeners in uh, the coming days or, or weeks uh, for that matter and they'll heed to the advice uh, that you've uh, given to all of us uh, this morning and thank you for that and indeed, thank you indeed as always, for joining us on the programme today. Thank you, thank you. And that's uh, Dr. Alona Duffy, who's a GP based in Monaghan and the medical director of NEDoc.
7: Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. Let's continue from where we left off uh, there and uh, the disappointment that some people might feel at not getting uh, their booster, even though they're in the right age bracket to get a booster now, but it's too soon after their last dose of AstraZeneca, in particular those over 65. They'll be waiting till the new year, it seems. Anne Dempsey is the communications manager and training facilitator with Senior Line. Good morning to you, Anne, and thank you indeed for joining us. I guess people are hoping to be able to get a booster soon because we're all hearing that our vaccines are waning and we know that the virus is very virulent and a lot of people are falling very sick with it.
8: Very, very much so, Michael. Those two points that it's waning and life has become that bit more hazardous outdoors have you already kind of quoted some of the figures Michael because there's, there's almost like half a million people aged 60 to 69 and I went on a sharp learning curve this morning and by my reckoning only about 22 thousand of them have been given the booster and about 59 thousand who are v- have vulnerable conditions So that's a huge shortfall
3: mm. Yeah.
8: Mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it could be January, February before a lot of them get their booster exactly. which will be a disappointment for Christmas because people will want to meet uh, not just uh, with uh, friends or go shopping or socialise but obviously to have their family with them at home.
8: Well this is if exactly, that's what I've been thinking too. I mean they're unlikely to be clubbing madly until 6am. Well they can't anyway not to go home at midnight. <laughs> but like they would mm. be, these are people in the mainstream of life, these are family people parents grandparents uh, unlikely to be the, the the dad that goes to collect mum to bring her home to the family to be with the grandchildren the kind of very important pivotal person in Christmas m- both you know mothers and fathers and I would think also that you know these people have been under the radar to some extent Michael I mean they weren't told to stay at home uh, last year that mm. you're vulnerable and you're old so they wouldn't and quite rightly wouldn't wouldn't have considered themselves in that light. So, you know, suddenly now having the feeling of vulnerability might be, uh, you know, more than anybody else might be rather new to them. Mm.
3: Uh, another interesting figure is uh, that the number of deaths from COVID would be 10 times higher than it actually is if we weren't vaccinated. And we just yeah. heard Dr. Ilona Duffy tell us uh, that even if you have to wait till the new year, that's because you have vaccine in you and that it is giving you some level of protection. But you've yeah. whether you've got two or three doses of vaccine you've got to do all of uh, the things uh, that we've been told from the outset and it is very, very tiresome isn't it?
8: And Christmas is so counterintuitive yeah, yeah. to that, isn't yeah. it?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah.
8: Kind of, you know, not being close, up close and personal mm-hmm. and loving and kind and, you know, being with people face to face at that mass. I mean, it's a family context we're mainly, mainly talking about. And yeah. also work, you know. Yeah. I mean, these people are, are, are working, you know. And, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a kind of, it's come out from nowhere to some degree. Yeah. And it, it's a whole new thing to be, to be thinking about and worried about. And I was listening to I don't know who was somebody saying that um, some of these people uh, the other side of the coin is that rather than being worried and kind of taking precautions, they're a little bit fluhooled with themselves and thinking, and some of them have refused booster thinking that they said, no, I, somebody, kind of a quote, oh, mm. and I need to get my hair done more now. Whether that's apocryphal or not, I don't know. Mm. But I can understand that this group haven't up to now considered themselves more, more vulnerable than anyone else. You know, they haven't associated themselves with the over-70s particularly. Mm. They weren't publicly categorized in that way you know so it's a whole new thing for
3: them to take on board to some degree isn't it it certainly is Uh, and uh, it's come out of the blue as you say on one hand on the other hand it's here we go uh, again and Tony Hoolan telling us to cancel uh, some of uh, the plans that we have uh, for socialising over Christmas Uh, people would have seen on the news yesterday hotels and restaurants and all of uh, the like are are getting an awful lot of cancellations uh, and uh, the Irish Independent reporting today that it's some 400 175,000 people between 60 and 69 who got the yeah. AstraZeneca in July or August, uh, who will have to wait until the new year before they get the next dose.
8: King, Professor Kingsley-Milbert, we're, we're, we're liberal
3: with our quotes here, <laughs> quoting all the experts, yeah. said that he kind of made the point that he
8: thinks, you know, he, he asked the question, would it be, you know, damaging in any way to conflate those humans and, and give it to them now? Mm. Um, and he, he seemed to think that it would be both safe and effective for them to, to have the, the booster. But the yeah. point about it is then, you know, um, it, it seems to be, this, you know, I mean, I think, I'm think i sure everyone is doing their mm. best and working flat out, but there's a lot of people to get through in a short space of time, even if mm. they... The, yeah, of and, of the and area, it's yeah, very urgent.
3: Thing. I mean, they're talking yeah. about 450, 500 people yeah. in ICU over Christmas, and that's why they're talking about bringing the army in to help with all of this. Yeah, um, exactly. But I know an awful lot of people, and are you hearing from people on Senior Line uh, who've said, I don't know why they're opening the nightclubs and the pubs and all that, I, because it's so bad, because it's everywhere, because I'm hearing about it uh, next and up the street and around the corner and all my relatives uh, seem to know somebody who has it at this stage, I've decided I'm just staying home. Are you hearing that sort of thing?
8: We are, and, and we're hearing we're hearing that, and kind of accompanied by a lot of sadness and depression. Mm-hmm. Think, imagine if you're someone living on your own, mm-hmm. and Christmas mm-hmm. is a bright light, and that going to see your children and your mm-hmm. grandchildren. And we're also hearing from people on the other side; they haven't invited me yet, and I don't know whether I'm invited, and I'm, I'm not quite like it's all, mm-hmm. it's all very very difficult. Yeah, we're hearing, uh, you know, Christmas already casting a huge shadow over people, what they can look forward to or not. Mm-hmm. It's going to be just more of the same dark stuff.
3: Okay. Yeah. Dreadful, dreadful. Yeah, okay, um, people might want yes. to talk to you. The senior line uh, opens in about a quarter hour, uh, fifteen yeah. minutes from now. Um, free phone number one eight hundred eighty forty five ninety one, and then it'll be open till ten o'clock uh, tonight. Ten to ten every day, one uh, 1-800-80-45-91. And thank you, as always, for joining us this morning. That's Anne Dempsey, okay. communications manager and training facilitator, facilitator with Senior Line.
7: Michael Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. Now, to a bitter row between the Taoiseach, Mihal Martin, and the leader of uh, the Labour Party, Alan Kelly. I've
9: been here a while, a few years, uh, and I've never come in here and accused anyone of telling porkies, let alone the Taoiseach. Um, I did ask you about schools uh, yesterday, as I'm very concerned about them, genuinely concerned about them. Uh, My colleague, Ayanna Reardon, has been articulating this for some time. And I did speak to you afterwards, after teacher's questions, and I said they would be additionally affected by the new five-day rule. I have young kids, my wife's a teacher. Um, and your reply to me was, no, teachers are exempt. You know that. This wasn't a total... I know you're very annoyed about it, right? Because you messed up. This wasn't a total misconstruction. Wasn't a total misconstruction. You even denied we had a conversation in here, which makes you look rather silly, considering there's a video of it. So, Tishuk, in your reply, because I'm not going to dwell on it because we have more serious things, if you want to call me a liar, call me a liar. Um, You messed up and you had to reverse immediately, which I'm glad you did, because teachers' SNAs and early years workers can't be treated differently.
3: Right, it's a row that got quite personal. Kelly making accusations about the Taoiseach, but not just about the Taoiseach. He went on to criticise the Health Service and the Minister for Health, Education, and the Minister, with Labour saying the school system is on the brink of collapse.
9: The Minister for Education is gone AWOL. The minister, you're so embarrassed by the Minister for Health that he hasn't been seen at a press conference with you in over a year. This morning, the Minister for Education said antigen testing will be operational in schools by the end of the week. Can you confirm this is going to happen?
3: Now, the Taoiseach didn't take this lying down. I've
10: been in the house longer than you. And um, you learn something every day. You learn something new every day. And I learned something about you yesterday that I will not forget. And that will govern our relationship from here onwards, Uh, in terms of the nature of the engagements. I've never seen the likes of it before in terms of what transpired uh, as I was engaged here, you came along over here. Uh, I, I just refer you to what you asked actually asked me on the record the House, just immediately before that. Okay? And it's about, given the compli- complicated RSV cases, cause cases I presume, will the government consider prioritising frontline workers such as gardy retail workers, transport workers, most of all teachers, special needs assistance, SNAs, early-year workers for boosters, primarily so that the school system does not fall over. I asked the teacher, nothing about household contacts or the decision that the government took and publicised yesterday. Oh, yeah. Nothing at all about it. No, I just put that on the record, and suddenly you come over here for a 30 or 40 second engagement, you scamper up, you tell your education correspondent who tweets something, and it's reported as fact. It's extraordinary. Anyway, look, me. we leave it. Because I don't think the if public... you want to call me a liar, I am just putting it straight now. I've learned things.
9: What's the difference between misconstruction and
10: now And I'm going to... Misconstruction. Misconstruction. i never... You're not denying those words. I am. Never said those misconstruct words. misconstruction. But in any, any right. event, never said what you construed no. that I said. But it's a completely... No. And I, I said, I rang you afterwards to make it very no. clear no. to you no. how no. I regard the interchange. You can't do things like that, through the chair, but I before, want to say, if I may say so, uh, the issue is we're four and a half thousand cases a day. On antigen testing, we have expanded the use of antigen testing. The Deputy knows that Public Health Advice has not been the most enthusiastic in terms of the wider deployment. Uh, of 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 uh, antigen tests,
3: and because of uh, that advice, there's been little in the way of antigen testing, but we've done a lot of testing.
10: We have dramatically expanded PCR testing. We did 196,000 PCR tests in the last seven days. Now that's a tribute to be given to the HSC and its team, because I remember people in here lambasting the HSC in terms of of the PCR testing. That's one of the strongest. In Europe now, in terms of our capacity on PCR, the, the antigen will supplement that, uh, and the, the, it will be operational uh, in, 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 in the schools up, in, 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 in relation to that. But again, it's not the, the silver bullet
9: uh, by, by any means. everybody Kelly, Tishuk, you are also the Taoiseach that said the banks wouldn't be weren't bailed out and your, your threats and roaring down the phone and threats in here don't, don't bother me I'll let the public decide who they believe I think we already know well what you don't know is this and you don't seem to be getting it is this is Groundhog Day for this country people around the country are so worried I'll give you one thing you're consistent in your inconsistency anyway
3: and with that the gloves were off again
9: you're not
10: you have been populist Give the the boosters to everybody, except teachers. Through the The chair and stop. Keep the schools open. Keep your voice down and calm it down. Cool it. No, you cool. The bottom line is this: NIAC have advised the cohorts who should get the booster. Why? Who's in the ICU department? Who's in the ICU at the moment? Immunocompromised, okay, unvaccinated, uh, people with underlying conditions, and older age cohorts. Who are most at risk? Older age cohorts immunocompromised, people with underlying conditions. The advice is that they need the booster before anybody else. We've been through this before, and I had it in this house before. Give it to this group, give it to that group, give it to the next group. It's all popular stuff. It courts the group, it courts the sector. But the most effective thing we can do, the most effective thing we can do is to do it in accordance with the medical advice and the public health advice and those who advise on immunization, which is, to give it to those who needed it the most
3: first. There you go. That's uh, Mihal Martin in uh, the green corner. The fella in the red corner was Alan Kelly. Michael, Michael
7: Reed on, on
3: LMFM. FM. Now let's uh, return uh, to that uh, spat uh, that we heard. It was very personal, wasn't it, between the Taoiseach and the leader of uh, the Labour Party uh, before the headlines uh, there. Michael Brennan, political editor of uh, the Sunday Business Post, uh, is on the line. And uh, there was... A lot of very strange language uh, that we heard used between the two. But this uh, might summarise it best, Michael.
10: Cool it. No, you cool
3: it. Cool it. It's just hard to believe, isn't it, uh, that two leading politicians, two party leaders would be talking to each other the way they did. Uh, I suppose the first question is, who's telling the truth? Because two people have two very different versions of the same story and both can't be right.
6: Yeah, Michael, it's like one of those uh, maybe Japanese films where, where you know all the characters can tell you the, the, their version of the story and then, then, then they'll put the three versions beside each other and, and let you decide yourself. So in this case, I, I was in the doll for that row between Alan Kelly and, and Taoiseach Mihal Martin. Both of them are utterly convinced that they are, they are correct, that Mihal Martin believes... He never said teachers should have an exemption and be allowed to stay home from school if they were a close contact of, a, say, a pupil who had, who had COVID. Whereas Alan Kelly believes that Micheál Martin told them they could get an exemption and go into school uh, even if they were a close contact. Um, the, one of the best possible explanations I saw was from Miriam Lord today in the Irish Times, where she said that the phrase, no teachers are exempt can be changed if you put in a comma. So if you say no teachers are exempt, that's one meaning. And if you say no teachers are exempt, it is a totally different meaning. So that mm. that's uh, Miriam's uh, supposition.
3: And if she's I, right, both stories, both versions of uh, the story can be right.
6: Well, you you'd know Michael from your time in the media and broadcasting how how just one one sentence or or one one quick conversation with someone if you if you take it at your first impression, it can have one meaning. If you actually listen back to it and, and see what was said in detail, you actually get a completely different impression. Mm. And the context here was, Alan Kelly had been asking the Taoiseach about, you know, boosters for teachers. Will they get brought up the queue? Mirol Martin was like, no way, we're not doing that. We're sticking to the schedule that mm. NIAC have, have set down for us. And then they had this brief now famous or infamous 30 second conversation between themselves as Alan Kelly passed where Miguel Martin sat in the doll. Uh, I didn't see that and so I, I certainly can't say what was or was instead but it was one of those quick conversations and, and when you have a quick conversation with someone you can either get the right impression or the wrong impression and that's that's where the confusion has, has mm. come out of.
3: Yeah, Nobody else heard it, it seemed. It was off microphone, so both uh, are sticking to their corners. So or As I said earlier on, uh, Michael Martin in the green corner and Alan Kelly in the red corner. Uh, and that scrap follows a, a, a scrap that took place earlier on uh, with Mary Lou MacDonald. And all of this is coming becoming commonplace. Uh, is it a, a sign of the times and the stress that we're all undergoing, do you think?
6: Yeah, I think it is. I think, the, the the you know, there's a collective feeling out there. I think it's fair to say that everybody thought we were, with the help of vaccinations, able to resume some level of normal life. And this week we've been told by Neffet and other, other people that that's not possible, that we have to again change our behaviour and, and try and deal with this, this new wave of COVID. For Micheál Martin, though, it was very clear, watching him yesterday in that row with Alan Kelly, he is under huge strain. He did not want to be on the steps of government buildings this week, uh, closing effectively nightclubs and coming up with more restrictions. Mm. The government's hope was that we had moved on beyond that. So I think he personally is having to deal with, with uh, being the bearer of bad news again and, and back again to the talk of restrictions and case numbers. And that's That's an underlying factor, you know, I think in Mm. the whole row as well. And
3: if you go back uh, a couple of months, uh, I mean, the mantra from government was once we reopen things, we don't want to be closing them again. And that's exactly what's happened. It might just be a a curfew on uh, the pubs, but it is effectively closing nightclubs and undoubtedly there'll be job losses. And it's a a very serious situation, one that could get a whole lot worse. And there could be more restrictions when they look at this uh, again uh, next week, let alone in three weeks, when the impact of, for the current restrictions are felt.
6: That's right, and you know, look at it's a place that no one in the country wants to be. That was probably the most prominent uh, statement in the Taoiseach's address, where he said he said effectively we didn't want to be going backwards or or having to introduce more restrictions. But that is where they are, and you know, politically that's a that's a huge challenge for them because that's now dominating the agenda again. After a couple of weeks when we had a budget, we had. Climate Action Plan, National Development Plan but we're, we're back again in the middle of Covid.
3: Mm, there were uh, a couple of uh, ministers who came under fire from Alan Kelly yesterday, Norma Foley uh, like Aon O'Reardon uh, before him saying uh, that uh, Alan Kelly and Aon O'Riordan that is uh, saying that, that Norma Foley was AWOL, was she AWOL?
6: I, I think she'd been doing a media appearance that morning on on one of the, the, the uh, certainly some of the national media. So I suppose it depends on your definition of a wall. There has been criticism from Labour that that she hasn't been as proactive or or as or, or as sort of uh, available when it comes to giving a direction to schools. And there's no doubt there is you know you would hear reports of school principals you know under huge pressure to deal with COVID cases since they changed the arrangements for how schools are, are helped by the HSE. So I suppose that's, that's been reflected. They're reflecting the frustration the school community that's there with with the arrangements up to now. But again, we're told that is going to change with, with more antigen testing of pupils and stuff like that.
3: Okay, a, a, a nod combination of... Things next, Michael, uh, because Alan Kelly uh, turned around uh, to Micheál Martin yesterday and he said to the Taoiseach, you said that the government wasn't going to bail out the banks. He also had a a swipe at Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, and he suggested that Micheál Martin was (laughs) so embarrassed by Stephen Donnelly that he hadn't uh, allowed him to appear at a press conference uh, or not together with him at least for a year and a half, I think he, he said. And uh, the Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting then heard last night uh, about uh, the bank bailout and an interview given by Dermot Ahern and Noel Dempsey when they said there wasn't going to be a bailout uh, days before the bailout happened. Uh, and uh, Senator Mary, Mary Seary Kearney was uh, comparing that to an interview that Stephen Donnelly gave last week uh, in which he, he was saying we're not going to go back to working from home or extend the COVID certs.
6: Yeah, I, I, I have to say, I, I think just on a direct comparison, you know, that's a bit unfair in that, you know, it, to, not to get too deep in the history of it, but Dermot Hearn and Old Dempsey will maintain to this day that they, they said there would be no bailout because they were told by Brian Lennon, the late Brian Lennon, that that, that wasn't going to happen and they gave that in good faith, but mm. you could argue maybe they, sh- they should have known better. With COVID, with Stephen Donnelly, there's no doubt he's been under fire, but but I can say to you genuinely, ringing ministers last late last week, there was very little anticipation of what would happen that, that did happen this week with restrictions announced. So I think Stephen Donnelly was genuinely given a position, as the government believed at the time, and then they got these appalling figures and projections mm. from Neffert, and they had to change. So. You know, it's a very colourful analogy and, and makes Stephen Donnelly look bad but I, I, I wouldn't uh, agree with, with, with that version of it hmm.
3: uh, Yeah. Uh, it's just that uh, I know that uh, the day before Stephen Donnelly gave uh, that interview uh, that uh, Neff had gave a press briefing and at that press briefing Tony Hullohan was saying that he favoured the idea of the COVID service being extended uh, to hairdressers and to gyms uh, which didn't happen uh, and also the idea of working from home
6: yeah, look, some of the ire the, the, the directed Stephen Donnelly, I think, is is also being fueled by there's a new book out from Richard Chambers, mm-hmm. a, a Virgin Media journalist, about the, the state's handling of COVID. And there are several stories in that book about dissatisfaction with Stephen Donnelly, you know, the Taoiseach taking charge of COVID-19 and and relegating him to second place. So I think that's also the wider context of it. And look, there's no no doubt Micheál Martin has been the lead on COVID. But, you know, when Leo Bradkoff was Taoiseach, he was also the lead on COVID. Maybe Stephen Donnelly, there's no doubt he's not as good a communicator as Simon Harris was mm. when he was Minister for Health. And that has, has weakened him. But, but I think that is that is the wider context for some of the the, the remarks about Stephen Donnelly are coming in. Very okay. Seary Cairns remarks as well won't won't improve relations there uh, between him and, and Fine Gael.
3: <laughs> No, I'm sure they won't. Uh, it's a, a very stressful time for all. One thing I think I'm certain of uh, is uh, that both you and I, Stephen Donnelly, Micheál Martin and all ministers and members of government and indeed the entire population, not just of this country but further afield, are fed up to the gills with uh, this virus and the impact that it's having on our lives. Uh, What uh, is different between me and any member of government is that I wouldn't do their job for uh, a million years. Uh, Certainly not now uh, because they're getting it from every angle, aren't they? I mean, there's all this Pressure about why are you closing down? Why are you going backwards and so on? And on the other hand, then you have so many people saying, "Why aren't you doing more? Why aren't we going into lockdown?"
6: Yeah, you're you're going to see a you know a reopening of all those arguments, and and it's much more difficult for the government now because you know people can legitimately say, say "You asked us to take the vaccines, we responded to an unbelievable degree of ninety percent plus vaccination, and now you're asking us to get a booster as well and to change our behavior, you know, as well. So that's a difficult sell to tell people, look, we, we did it in the best intentions at the time. It hasn't worked as, as well as we hoped. Now we have to change our plans again. But, but unfortunately, as, as people would know themselves, you know, best laid plans and all of that, that, that does happen. And it's just, it's much harder to get the national solidarity with the flick of a switch as maybe that we were able to do in the past year and a half when when all of this
11: was newer
3: okay we leave there for the moment Thank you, though, as always, for joining us uh, today, Michael Brennan, who is uh, the political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post. Peter is in Drada. Peter was on the phone to us and he says, impose further restrictions now. Uh, just like uh, we were talking a, a minute ago about, uh, there's people who are coming down on both sides of this, uh, and Peter says, let us have some sort of Christmas. Impose the restrictions now and get on top of it. Uh, I feel that people are no longer paying much heed and will only reduce their social contacts if there are restrictions in place. There are big events still going on and people attending yet workers are being told it would be advisable not to have a Christmas party. It's all very confusing. Mixed messaging says Peter and he wants a lockdown. Uh, Tommy says if you've had COVID do you have to wait six months uh, for the booster? Can you clarify that? Please. Uh, The HSE says, Tommy, that if you've had COVID since you were vaccinated, wait for six months before you get a booster dose. So I take it that that is yes. Um, Jerry Floyd emailing us saying, listening uh, to the discussion with Dr. Ilona Duffy this morning, and he says, both of you appear to be a- suggesting, A, we board up our doors and windows, and B, head to lend a lock, find a cave and become hermits. Uh, regarding libraries, masks are supposed to be worn as in shops and other premises. The rise in infections is being blamed on nightclubs and bars. I call this disingenuous I beg your pardon, he says, I call this disingenuous balderdash for the simple reason that Neffet have not given us a breakdown on the ages of the new infections. Uh, I think they have, Jerry. I think it's across all ages. uh, There's been a significant increase. I don't have them in front of me now, but we certainly heard uh, uh, that last week at uh, the Neffield press briefing, except for the over-80s, which had gone through the roof, but they have come down because of the boosters, and the boosters are taking an impact. And... The thing is that if you're allowing uh, non-vaccinated people into shops or or libraries, uh, they are more... Uh, contagious and uh, uh, quite often you'll find uh, if uh, they fall into that category uh, of I won't get vaccinated, they won't wear a mask and they will say, oh I'm exempt from it and all that sort of stuff and uh, people have problems with them. And Indrahada says she thinks uh, the Taoiseach and uh, the government should be ashamed of themselves. She feels uh, they're messing around with people's lives for the sake of for the economy. In her opinion, there should be a lockdown until this wave passes. Her husband is not well and she's terrified of him having to go into hospital in, cases he, in case he catches Covid because she she fears he wouldn't survive it. We need to get the infection under control. She says the welfare of people should come before anything else. Thank you, Anne. Uh, just come back uh, to Jerry's comment actually as well. Uh, another idea, uh, another reason maybe uh, for asking people uh, to have COVID certs uh, m- more than masks, to have COVID certs, to go into libraries or hairdressers or so on, is so that people feel, I need to get vaccinated. Uh, and give up that nonsense and get vaccinated uh, because they can't go to the library or they can't go to the gym or they can't go and get a bag of chips or they can't go uh, to a museum or whatever it is that they want to do. They can't do it because they haven't got a COVID and They can't get in and uh, they can't get a haircut. And you'd be able to identify them then very easily with all the messy hairdos going around the street, the non-vaccinated, dirty people that they are would be very visible uh, because of uh, the fact that they couldn't get their hair cut. I think there's a lot of merit in that. I'm not sure what you think, Jerry. but uh, thanks for your email and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today so far.
7: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM.
3: Now, as you know, the Church of Scientology is behind the Narconon Trust, uh, which has been planning for some time to set up a, a drug rehabilitation centre in Beliver. It has uh, the green light for that, uh, receiving planning permission through the Court of Appeal. Uh, Paddy Tobin is uh, local TD in Mead West and chairperson, uh, uh, bigger burn. He's also the leader and founder of the Aint2 party. Good morning to Tobin, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm just reading off uh, the running order here. You're the chairperson of uh, the Save Navin Hospital campaign. Uh, So maybe we'll talk about that first before we talk uh, about uh, the Narconon uh, Drug Rehabilitation Centre, because you were to meet with the minister yesterday, as were all of uh, the TDs in County Mead, about the hospital, uh, and the minister had to pull out. Do you know why or when that meeting will be rescheduled?
11: Yeah, so it's, it's an incredible thing that the government had decided with the HSC to close the A in Ian Avon, um, and that's led to the massive response by the people of Mead, where 10,000 people took to the streets in a fantastic day, uh, and a show of people power <clears throat> just about three weeks ago now at this stage. Um, and the, 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 the Taoiseach, the Taoiseach and the Minister for Health, has been promising this meeting with local TDs for a long period of time, He has met with government TDs, but he hasn't met with myself uh, or the other opposition TDs in the county as of yet. So yesterday we turned up um, on on teams um, to attend the meeting, uh, and just as the meeting was to go ahead at five o'clock, we were told that the the minister wasn't available. And indeed, I understand that the other minister in in the county, uh, Helen McEntee, wasn't available, uh, I understand as well. Um, and that was a, a, a big shock to us, because obviously this is a serious crisis, it's, a, it's the most important piece of health infrastructure we have in the county, mm. it's been promised for a long time, and the meeting didn't happen. And I will say just one but thing you, do, do you know
3: why? Yeah. Uh, sorry,
11: We were given given no, no reason, mm. now, I do understand, obviously.
3: Government mm. well, well, ministers, ministers can be very busy and very busy all of a sudden, of course, yeah. The, yeah.
11: the country is mm. in a crisis yeah. at the moment, mm. that crisis is is in large part circling around the the, the, the health service. So, I have no doubt that this is a difficult time for the minister to get time and and, and listen, we're going to be logical uh, around this, uh, but we weren't given a date uh, for another meeting as of yet. But listen, anybody out there looking at what's happening in ICU uh, around the country uh, has to ask themselves the question. What were the HSC and the government thinking in trying to close down the A&E and ICU beds just a number of months
3: ago okay well the government will say that may have been a decision that was taken by the board of the HSE but the minister has paused it uh, and uh, it's not a, a decision that the government supports yes anyhow
11: and just one one point in on this um H- helen mcanty is obviously the senior minister in county meath and you know she, obviously she was on maternity leave uh, for six months and and the Save Navin hospital campaign respected that and we didn't bother her we didn't we didn't we, we let her get on with the, mm. the very important job that she she was undertaking uh, at that time but she's back now about uh two or three weeks um and we have asked uh, helen mcanty to indicate does she support the continuation of the AE and the ICU in Navan? and we haven't heard a word back uh, from the Senior Minister Well she spoke to
3: this programme and she made her position very clear it's exactly the same position that Thomas Byrne has it's exactly the same position that Damien English has it's exactly the same position that Stephen Donnelly has it's exactly the same position that Michal Martin has that they've paused this decision uh, and they've asked for it to be looked at and explained uh, and that everybody would be consulted with before anything happens and if it's in uh, the best interest of patients well, then, it will go ahead. If it's not in the best interest of patients, it won't go ahead.
11: I've spoken to senior clinicians uh, in hospitals that surround uh, Navan in our region. Mm. These are the hospitals in which patients would have to go to if our A and E was closed. Yeah, but that's, what, th- th- that's why Helen McIntyre
3: said, it, 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 if that argument they're making and you're making wins over, well, then it won't go ahead. Uh, but that's 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 the purpose of this pause.
11: But, but my frustration is, is if is as if these ministers are neutral players in this process. As if these ministers are somewhere passengers on this bus that they're not actually driving these ministers are responsible to the people of Mead
3: I know that but what they're saying to you is that there are other experts experts. who have a different opinion and they're going to listen to all of those opinions weigh them up and come to uh, a conclusion and make a decision It's
11: it's very frustrating because it's not like that we've come to this Mm -hmm. out of the blue this is a crisis has been looming over our hospitals for years, mm-hmm. if not a decade at this stage. Okay. Like
3: it, it, okay, it, but it, all I'm it, saying to you is that that the, 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 that Minister McIntyre has it, made right. comment on it, and she said exactly what all of the others are
11: saying. So, which is basically wait and see, and we let somebody else make the decision.
3: Well, no, I don't think that's fair. I think it's wait and see. Uh, what everybody says, uh, what the opposition TD says, that the opposition TDs are consulted with, uh, and that everybody comes together uh, and looks at this, and then a decision will be made. Well,
11: I would prefer if the government TDs did like Charlie Flanagan did in County Leash, stood up without equivocation for the future of the hospital, fought at cabinet level for its survival and made sure it was there for the people of me in the future
3: Okay, uh, talk to us uh, about uh, Narconon uh, You believe that the government uh, should stop Narconon from providing drug rehabilitation in Beliver.
11: You know, This is a big blow to Beliver and it's a big blow to, to uh, patients who need residential drug rehabilitation as well um, i put a parliamentary question into the finagale minister for drugs uh, a couple of years ago in relation to was there any evidence to say that the treatments delivered by narconon the church of scientology uh, was beneficial to uh, patients and the department of health was was very straight it said that there was no evidence uh, to suggest that the drug treatment programs provided by the church of scientology meet any of the criteria set out by the HSE. Uh, now, I asked the, the HSE and the minister, would they get involved in, in regulation of these types of uh, residential drug rehabilitation centers? And they gave me a big flat no. And um, I asked, would there be any, uh, would, would there be any inspections uh, of the regimes that are happening so that we would be able to protect these patients? And they said, absolutely no. So like, they have no interest or uh, and engagement at all with residential drug rehabilitation centers in this country that do not receive HSC funding that means myself and yourself Michael tomorrow if we wanted mm. we could actually set up a residential drug rehabilitation center and we could deliver any regime we want and the HSC and the Department of Health will feel that they have no responsibility what's your
3: concern or- because you're talking about people who are trying to stop or help people to stop taking drugs what's your concern about that
11: well, my, my My concern is that, first of all, there's no evidence that the work that they are doing is is of any benefit.
3: Is there any evidence that it's harmful?
11: Well, my concern is that 80% of people presenting with substance abuse suffer from anxiety, they suffer from depression, Mm. and they have backgrounds of trauma. And I have spoken to people uh, who have been in these uh, locations internationally. Uh, who have had very, very negative effects, who said, first of all, that they were given no uh, psychiatric supports in their times of difficulty uh, when they were coming off um, uh, these drugs in these locations. Um, And I I absolutely believe that we shouldn't be uh, governed by the absence of evidence in relation to protecting patients who are so vulnerable. We should be confident that we have the evidence that whatever treatment they're getting... Okay,
3: but you're you're, you're not presenting evidence there, you're giving us hearsay, anecdotal uh, conversations uh, that you've had uh, with people who've had what they say is a negative experience and you're always going to get that, particularly with people coming off drugs.
11: What what I'm saying to you is...
3: Is there evidence though that there's any harm to what they
11: do? What I'm saying to you is we shouldn't allow for drug rehabilitation centres to function just on the basis of a wild west system they should be able to prove that their system is effective and protective of patients and what the hsc is saying very clearly on one hand they can't prove that that there's no ev- evidence of effectiveness in these locations but on the other hand the hsc is just shrugging and saying well we don't have a responsibility anyways to to inspect the, these locations so you know it, it'd, be, it'd be it's inten- mm. incredible that 50 to 100 years ago, we had institutions in this country you know, that had individuals
3: within them. Well, people are volunteering to go into these uh, drug rehabilitation places uh, and uh, they'll uh, live uh, in Beliver, undoubtedly, for a period of time until they hopefully come off whatever it is that they're uh, addicted to, in the same way that they could go to your house or my house. Uh, Are you not suggesting that the HSE would say, uh, no, you need to be regulated uh, if you want to get your brother or your cousin or your uncle or whatever off drugs?
11: I'm just saying well, like, it, it would be absolutely incredible if myself or yourself set up a drug rehabilitation centre tomorrow uh, and the HSC said they had no evidence that it was effective on patients whatsoever. Mm, but would it be harmful?
3: Yes. I mean, if you were trying to get somebody off drugs, would, would, would it harm them?
11: Because if, if there's no evidence that's effective... But well, then these are extremely vulnerable people spending massive amounts of money. This isn't some kind of free mm-hmm. uh, situation. These are people coming from all around the world spending mm-hmm. thousands of euros uh, and with no uh, uh, evidence that it's effective. Now, I'll just give you an example. If you bought a drug in, the, um, in a pharmacy or if you give, mm-hmm. uh, give it to the doctor and the doctor says, well, actually, we, we've no evidence that that drug actually works at all. Um, you know, if, 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 yeah. if anybody made an argument for a, a treatment in a hospital, and the HSC was—we've no evidence that actually worked anyway. And mm. um, of course, people will be of course would be up in arms. Of course they would.
3: But but that's that's not at all a valid example. Uh, this is uh, people coming off drugs. This, this is stopping people, taking drugs. These are drugs.
11: people who are patients who are in a extremely vulnerable situation, uh, who needs the best support that they can get. Uh, and we know that these But if you
3: you, you drew up a a set of regulations uh, and then oversight and implementation of those regulations then that would stop would it not the development of other methods of helping people to withdraw from substances? No,
11: no, no. First of all the HSE does regulate um, um, these types of uh, residential drug rehabilitation centres but only if they're funding them. So the HSE does recognise the logic of making sure that they've fit, uh, dr- residential drug rehabilitation centres work on the basis of their funding them, but literally they are shrugging their shoulders, casting no responsibility uh, for what happens in these locations. Okay. And this is also a major concern to the people of Bliber and the surrounding areas.
3: Well, well people in Bliber are concerned that people with drug addictions will be coming into the area. Uh, there which, which,
11: which, any, any proven system to actually help
3: them. Which, which, which has been approved by the Independent Planning Board uh, and ultimately now by the High Court. Uh, well, in, first of all, uh, just
11: to just mm, make the mm, make mm, point, yep. Board Planola didn't approve um, the Narcanon and the Church of Scientology going in. Board Planola actually said that there should have been a planning uh, change mm-hmm. sought by Narkanon to achieve it. And what happened, obviously, was that Narcanon appealed that. Uh, and Borpinal will appeal that back and in a convoluted fashion, what happens now is that the uh, the courts has said that Narcanon will go by. This is not the end of the road. I know okay. that the campaign locally are looking at what legal uh, routes ensure. that they have sure. to ensure okay. that they can make sure that the patients that potentially could go in here are safe and that the locality is safe. And I will be pushing for the Minister for Health to introduce regulations to make sure that patients are protected.
3: Okay, we leave it there. Thank you, as always, for joining us on the programme today. That's Peter Tobin, leader and founder of AIN2. He's a TD for Midwest.
7: Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
3: Now we're joined uh, by Father Sean Haley, Director of Social Justice Ireland. Good morning to you, Sean. Thanks uh, for joining us uh, following your annual conference uh, and indeed uh, some of uh, the topics uh, that you've been discussing uh, over I don't know how many years at the stage, uh, back to the days of Cori uh, before you became Social Justice Ireland. Uh, you've been looking at some of the inequalities in this country for many, many years. Uh, but this week you've also been looking at inequality across Europe and indeed how much of that inequality that goes back to the crash, the economic crash uh, that uh, we all felt uh, across Europe is impacting on some of the countries more than it is on others, particularly in Southern Europe. That's
12: true and I think the critical issue there is that there have been strategies at a European level to deal with issues like poverty, unemployment, low education achievement and so on uh, and uh, to try to deal with the social exclusion, basically poverty and social exclusion. And uh, there, there have been two 10-year strategies. Uh, there was a list that people will, the older people will remember the Lisbon strategy. Uh, that was between 2000 and 2010 and in the middle of that in the year 2005 they decided to redo it completely and what they did in that redoing was they dropped the social elements out of the overall strategy and they just put them in a corner and dealt with them over there and as a result of course they got marginalised, they weren't really taken seriously but the Lisbon strategy didn't work very well so they decided that there should be a second 10 year strategy and that started in 2010 and it finished in 2020 and it was known as the 2020 strategy and it was meant to reduce um, poverty dramatically and so on And um, now uh, the results we have the results at this stage, and there's been very little impact on tackling poverty, unemployment, social exclusion. As you say, the bigger failures are in the in the southern countries, but a country like Ireland doesn't come out too well out of it either. Because if you look at Ireland in 2008, at the time of the crash, uh, there was a million and fifty thousand people in Ireland. In 2008, who were at risk of poverty or social exclusion. That's the way discount mm-hmm. counted at the European level poverty or social exclusion, a million and fifty N- uh, ni- thousand. Eleven years later, in 2019, it was a million and ten thousand. So over that 11-year period, we succeeded in reducing the number by 40,000. It went down from 1,050,000 to 1,010,000. So you've got to say it didn't have a a huge positive impact. And what it does is actually confirm stuff we've discussed here many times, Mm. which is that the impact of the crash that you just mentioned, okay, have not really been dealt with. Like that, what, what like, if, and that's interesting because in many parts of the society, the, the, the sort of sacrifices that were made by people after uh, the, the, the the crash have been restored, and the cuts that were made have been restored. But that is not actually true where poverty and social exclusion uh, is concerned. And as a result, we have in 2019, one in every five people are at risk of poverty or social exclusion in Ireland. And of uh, uh, that, when you bring break that number down, it's, there's over 200,000 children uh, together with something like 650,000 people at, uh, altogether um, in poverty alone, mm. when you don't include the social exclusion piece.
3: Okay. So, and why, no, it, why is that? Uh, and uh, can it be otherwise?
12: Oh, it, can, it can certainly be otherwise. And why it is that way is basically government policy. Because even between 2008 and 2019, there were peaks and troughs. Mm. Like, we went into a trough immediately after 2008, and then we picked up gradually up to about 2016 or 17, uh, and I think 17, maybe, and then in the last couple of years, it's been falling again. And the reason is very simple. When you look at what makes the difference to actually tackling poverty and social exclusion, the critical issue Not the only issue, but the critical issue is um, the income that people receive into their hands.
3: Yeah, but does that not base on... Uh, uh, re- rewarding people for what they do, that you're rewarded for work, for example, uh, uh, and you're less; you, the reward is less if you don't work, uh, and you're rewarded more for certain types of work than you are for other types of work, and that might be based uh, on your education, for example.
12: That's correct, and, and that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly fair, but there are two qualifications. One is that a lot of people in work over 100,000 actually are living in households that are in poverty. So, like, despite the fact that they have a job, uh, they don't actually get out of poverty. And that's because of low pay and uh, also because of the, they don't have full-time contracts.
3: Or but they're, they're earning more than people who are out of work, are they? But They are earning mm. more than people who are out of work. Mm. But the, the other and there's a is there's the ladder are, that they can climb and choose to climb or choose not to climb or choose to educate themselves well, or choose not to educate themselves.
12: That's true. I, I, I don't know how much the choice is there because uh, I think and most people that... Um, uh, it, it, all, uh, all across the board in Ireland people will take a job if there's any half-decent job available and they'll certainly try to improve themselves mm. through their job
3: but it, if, take a better if job If you're not qualified to do the job you're not going to get the job and if you are qualified to do the job the reward is there for you because uh, that is uh, something uh, that uh, is hard to, to staff and as a result of uh, enough people doing that the, I think the philosophy uh, of government is uh, that big companies come over and provide those type of jobs, those people earn big money, uh, and that money uh, then makes its way around the economy and helps to pay for social welfare and so on.
12: And up to a point, that's true, but only up to a point. Uh, There there are many people earning a lot of money uh, who are doing very well out of the current economy. No problem whatsoever with that. The the, the problem is that there's a lot of low-pay jobs in the economy as well and that that is not a situation that is all that positive, if you like. Um, when you think about it, there's a lot of people who have very low pay, who have precarious work and who, whose contracts are, are poor and who, who are finding it quite difficult to, to sort of get into jobs at the same time. On one level, there's jobs there and people. the government says it won't renew the pup because there's jobs out there people can take. But as you pointed out, you have to have the qualifications to get the job. You won't get the job. Mm, so qualification, yeah. but there's one other piece that's very, very important in, in going to, to answer your question about how to ex, what explains this this uh, sort of process of uh, troughs and peaks that we've had since between 2008 and 2019, and that has to do with welfare payments. Mm. And the critical issue, like for people who don't have a job, is the welfare payment, or uh, like uh, older people their pension payment, putting all of that, all those state payments, if you like, into place. And what we find was, over the years, after the crash, there was a hold put on that, and they, they basically didn't keep track with what was happening. Then there was a pick-up on that um, through the sort of early years of the, uh, of the last decade. But then in the last uh, three years, there's been a reversal of that in the budget because what's happened? There, were, there was two years in which there was no increase uh, that was ninth. the budget of uh, 2020 and the budget of 2021. There was no increase whatsoever in social welfare. Mm-hmm. And the budget of 22 now, they're going to give an increase in the basic core rates of €5 euro a week. But inflation will reduce the value of the welfare payment by more than €10 euro a week. Mm-hmm. So that means, in effect, that the value of the welfare payment, which is the core Payment for people who who aren't in employment uh, is going to go down, uh, like old so age pension. You're not,
3: even, and you're not even running to. You're uh, not even standing stand still. still you're going theory. backwards. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
12: Exactly. That, right. And that's the challenge. And that I suppose what I'd be saying is it's critically important now that Europe doesn't fail for the third time because what we were looking at yesterday was the next 10 years and Mm -hmm. in the next 10 years Europe is talking about this European pillar of social rights uh, which is a kind of a developed version of the strategy 2020 Mm -hmm. but the danger is that they'll make another mess of it and that 10 years from now we'll have had three 10-year strategies without having any impact on poverty and social inclusion or exclusion and uh, uh, unemployment Mm -hmm. and so on and That's an issue that we need to guard against. They won't
3: get to 2030 without uh, a a lack of suggestions from Social Justice Ireland. that's for sure, anyway, Michael. That's for sure. Thank you. Thank you, indeed, Father Sean, director of Social Justice Ireland.
7: Michael Reed on LMFM.
3: And to a couple of uh, people who are in crisis, uh, let's hear about uh, their situation. Independent uh, councillor in County Mead, Alan Laws, is on the line. You found uh, this couple sleeping rough last night, was it, Alan?
13: Yeah, good morning, Michael. Uh, I got a message from the couple and it reads like this. Me and my partner really need some help, Alan, as we are sleeping in a barn. I won't say the small town outside Navan. I've uh, handed in all our paperwork to need County Council. Uh all been The nights are getting colder and colder. One of us is going to end up severely sick. We are trying to get help with emergency accommodation. Any help would be much appreciated. So, myself and, and another volunteer, uh, Declan, drove out to the north. Drove out to the town last night and we met the couple. And basically. They had been in touch with the council. They filled out the form, And the form for housing, Michael, is a fairly complex form. They filled out the farm. They handed it in the first time. And it needed further documentations, which they got as well, and they handed in yesterday. And they also, they were told by the council that they'd get a phone call back and they never received that phone call. And so what what they did was they rang themselves and they were told, and this is what uh, astounded me, they were told that it would be actually 12 weeks uh, till to the twelve-week waiting list for emergency accommodation. Now, as a councillor, Michael, I haven't heard of a crisis in emergency accommodation. Right. as the twelve-week waiting list before.
3: I think so they I might be make mistaken, a though.
13: For the couple this morning, Meath County Council right. I haven't heard anything back. Okay, yet.
3: we 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 did hear from Meath County Council, uh, and it appears the couple might actually be mistaken based on what the council is saying Alan Uh, they're saying there isn't uh, a 12 week waiting period for emergency accommodation that the reference was to uh, the statutory requirement of a housing authority to process and issue a decision in respect to an applicant's social housing application something very different which I imagine uh, you're talking about uh, B&B accommodation that sort of thing or hotel accommodation but they're talking about a 12 week wait for social housing though
13: Well, a 12-week wait wait to uh, to, uh, take in their application, to process their application. Well, they're saying that's a
3: a statutory requirement, and they also say, though, that that processing can be expedited if all of the relevant information is received and it'll be prioritised based on the urgency of the case. I'm not sure if that's uh, of any help to you, because I think we were all taken aback when we saw your tweet about the 12 weeks.
13: Yeah, well, I mean, again, I was a fellow volunteer, and we did ask twice, because in fairness to the county council, I would agree that we do have delays and I've complained about delays before between me making a representation and and, uh, a person being accommodated. That can take a few days and sometimes up to a week. It was unprecedented when I heard there was 12 weeks, and I did ask I checked again, and I did put it in representations to the county council. I'm
3: I'm I'm just being handed this, by the way, um, so uh, I'm only bringing you the information as as I'm getting it, uh, and I hope that it's uh, good news uh, from your point of view that it's not actually twelve weeks.
13: Again, Michael, look, if if there was, if there was Mm. the reality, if Mm. the reality was there was a twelve week waiting list, it would be an absolute crisis. They Mm. Mm. clarified that to you this morning that it was the process, the housing application. That's fine. I mean, I will come back to the show, Michael, and let you know when these. People are actually given emergency accommodation because as mm-hmm. such then the reality is that they they have uh put in their application this week. They've asked for emergency accommodation and a few days have gone by and they haven't been assessed okay. as yet. Did you say uh, they're sleeping in a barn?
3: Did, sorry Alan, did you say they're sleeping in a barn?
13: They told me they were sleeping in a barn, yeah. Um God. and mm-hmm. so like when I heard yeah. that Michael, I went out and, and and I handed them food or get them sleeping bags or whatever they need uh, yeah. for that. they now the council have got the reps off me this morning and I hope if the system works the way Mead County Council suggests it works, Michael, I'll be able to send you in an email later on today yep. to say that couple has been accommodated. I would like to be able to do that and if Mead County Council is listening, thanks very much if they go ahead and do that. But I will let your show know and I'll let your listeners know if this couple was accommodated because it is getting colder out there. We can't be leaving people on the streets even for one night. One night in my mind, Michael, is too long. So if if me, County Council, accommodate him, I will let your show know later on.
3: Great. Well, let's hope that that's the case. Uh, And uh, thanks uh, for uh, talking to us again this morning, Alan. Independent Councillor Alan Laws there. Now, let me bring you some more of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, today, uh, because we have been hearing uh, from a a number of people. Uh, Somebody says... Uh, Do you forget that a vaccinated person who has COVID can carry the same viral load as an unvaccinated?
2: Um, What would I say about that? An unvaccinated person has a 32 times greater risk of dying in this pandemic than a vaccinated person.
3: Right, 32 times more uh, and uh, that uh, comment from Dr Mike Reiner, I think uh, applies uh, to all of the other people who were uh, texting in uh, with uh, information that was completely wrong about the vaccine uh, you've 32 times more of dying, chance of dying if you're not vaccinated and it is more transmissible if you're not vaccinated. But thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us today, that's our programme God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM Good morning, bye bye
2: the Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.
1: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
7: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.